If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Welcome to Data Chats, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where we tackle data topics and trends with experts, industry leaders, instructors, and alumni. I'm your host, Chris Richardson. Today, I'm sitting down with Marco Seidenleda, data expert, managing partner at Pandata, and the founder of Germany's largest meetup on digital analytics. Marco, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. How are you doing? Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Doing great. It's actually a really warm day in Germany today. Good. Um, yeah, I'm glad to hear you having some nice weather. I, you know, There's a lot I'd, I'd like to speak with you about, but maybe just for our audience, you could say a little bit about your background, where you're coming from. Of course. Long time ago, I actually studied computer science, uh, which definitely helps with anything with data. And then I decided or I realized that I didn't, didn't want to become a programmer. So I studied business on top of that in a master's degree. And I thought I really wanted to found a company. So I went to what back then was uh, kind of the number one in Germany called Rocket Internet. You might be familiar with the name because they copied a lot of American startups and brought them <laughs> to other markets in the world. Went really uh, popular in the US, as you can imagine. After that, there I learned a lot so I could become a freelancer. And on the basis of that, I founded Pandata together with a former colleague. That has been six years ago now. And yeah, we've been going pretty well since then. Yeah, that's great. Now, for people who aren't familiar with it, what does Pandata do? How does it, what does it focus on? And what problem is it trying to solve specifically? So I personally come from all of the realm of digital analytics, uh, a lot related to marketing data. My co-founder comes from data warehousing and business intelligence. So we put those together. And nowadays we consult and implement along the entire data value chain, meaning from where does the data come from over to how do we actually process and store it to what do we do with the data? Um, how do we prepare it for human consumers as well as for machine consumers? And that obviously goes also a lot with data science and machine learning and, and all of those related topics. Yeah. And can you say a little bit about the market that you saw before you did it, before you started this, and why you thought that this would solve a problem? What, what, was, the, what was lacking in the market when, before you existed? Of course. What we realized is a few years ago, there, there was what I would call the AI craze. There were a lot of data companies who were just selling essentially hot air, in my opinion, uh, because everybody wanted to do something with data. Everybody needed they had to knew they, need, they had to do something with data, and companies were capitalizing on this, and we didn't like that. Consultants were really taking advantage of the lack of knowledge in the market, and we wanted to change that. What we were trying to do was to be the authentic and trustworthy company. I know everybody would probably say that mm. of themselves, but we really didn't want to be another company that just makes money off people thinking they now need the next AI solution or the next big thing. 
Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point. And I wonder if you could take some people through this. Obviously, we have listeners that have different backgrounds, different knowledge and experiences, but I'm sure many of us can uh, relate to being in a room with data experts and not necessarily knowing who is selling the hot air and who is trustworthy. So what are some of the things that you've established over time that helps people kind of understand and, and separate those those two you know very different groups? I know. I mean, for... For the buyer, that is that is super hard, and we've seen a lot of companies where we got called in where where things like that had happened before. What we established is just being very frank about things that are possible or not. Like we wouldn't sell something that is completely unrealistic. And I think if you're if you're speaking to a serious data person, they will tell you in many of the cases, no, this is not possible, or no, it doesn't make sense to apply data science here. If you're talking to a good professional, I believe, they would very often try to solve the problem first by building a proper infrastructure, by doing basically the groundwork, and then on top applying data science approaches if if uh, suitable. And I think you can easily spot the the kind of hot air consultant when they're trying to sell the the huge data science solution in the first place. Then maybe at least I would get a bit wary. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's a great point. I think, uh, as you said, it's kind of peaked, I hope, where we, we've seen enough false promises that we are now, in, in many cases, in the market looking for realistic solutions. So maybe you can say a little bit about what realistic solutions look like. Like when organizations want to be more data driven, what are some of the things that you encourage them to do? Absolutely. I, I also believe strongly that it has changed in the last couple of years and that the market has matured a lot and also the, the general knowledge about what is feasible and where it makes sense to apply those newer approaches uh, actually makes sense. So what is what you refer to as a more realistic solution? I would say build it from the ground up. First start looking at what kind of data infrastructure you might already have in place, what kind of data sources you might have. And this is also a process that we can help guide through and then understand what you could derive from that. Obviously, you can also go the other way and think what I would like to have, but usually you have to make uh, ends meet somewhere in the middle, otherwise nothing will, will come out. And usually it's a lot more groundwork. It's a lot more building infrastructure that allows me to run a certain analysis than actually in the end running the, the analysis itself. And we would always want to build a stable foundation, a stable infrastructure, like for example, a, a data warehouse structure that would then allow me to, to perform the analysis that I'm, I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and I mean, you touched on a good point is a lot of places they want to jump to the end result because that's where in many cases the profit can be made. That's where they can make the biggest impact is at the end when they're seeing the data-driven solution, but it involves a lot of steps ahead of that. How do you how do you talk to businesses when you're consulting about scalability and how to go from that, you know, very maybe a very small data set or whatever it is that they're doing now to the place that they want to be? How do you get them there? What are those uh, some of those steps? I mean, that's uh, that's a big problem because there are many tools that propagate exactly that approach, the approach of jumping to the end of the uh, mm-hmm. of the story and just building the building a dashboard or building a report without having a proper infrastructure underlying. 
And mm -hmm. this isn't necessarily always a bad thing. You need exploration. You need to be able to build something very quickly. But as you say, you also want to build something that scales eventually. So first, build something exploratory, try what you want to have, and then make sure you build it to scale as well. And tools like Tableau, Power BI, they all of those connectors that allow you to super easily collect, connect to any data source or almost any data source that you might find interesting. But then the problem is those reports, they don't scale well because you have in your Tableau workbook, all of the transformations going on, all of the data sources expect. And obviously there are means of distributing those across the company, but the logic is all bound in these Tableau reports. And that, in our opinion, doesn't really scale well. So what we would always say, if you want to build a scalable system, you, need, you want to separate those steps. You want to separate those steps into separate systems so that the logic is not all within the reporting tool, within the visualization tool. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. Can we dig into that a little bit? Do you have any uh, examples or, you know, if if you can't talk about private companies or something, maybe we can do a, a general example, but what might that look like if right now, maybe they're just, all they're doing is generating certain reports on Tableau and they know that the company is growing, they want to do a better job of it. What does that, what might that look like? To be honest, there's there's so many cases that I I almost uh, would have a hard time picking one of them because this is this is the way it usually goes. I think so. How you would do it is you would want to set up a system where all of the logic is. We would usually refer to it as the data warehouse. You definitely might have heard of the uh, single source of truth, which is the the term that usually comes up when talking about that and. You would want to have your data all be merged, all be aggregated in that one database. And I would always try to make that an open system. We would usually work with something like BigQuery, or uh, now we see a lot of people migrating to, to Snowflake. But this can also be just a Postgres database that you host somewhere yourself. The point being here is you want to build a structure that is accessible for any programmer that knows SQL or, I mean, if you prefer any other programming language, that's fine too, but we would usually, for the sake of simplicity, build it with SQL and have the logic in there. And then this will allow you to switch the visualization tool as you like and to switch the other components around that as you like, but you don't have this huge lock-in effect, which can lead to huge problems down the line once you are not satisfied with the tool anymore or you realize that the tool doesn't connect to a specific data source that you might need but you have all your data in there and if you at one point decide to switch databases like now we see a lot of our clients moving from bigquery to snowflake because for some of them bigquery got, got really expensive you can just take your data and go there without any problem because they're almost 100 co percent uh, compatible to one another hmm. Yeah. So then what are the bigger questions that you would ask? Uh, I think a lot of people, if they're, if they're brought on to a project or they're trying to supervise a project, they could get bogged down by certain questions. So like the programming language, the solution, whether to do it in-house or not, these kinds of things. What are, what are the ones that trip people up the most and how would you encourage them to think about it when they're making these kind of early on decisions? Do we mm -hmm. go with Snowflake? Do we go with another thing? What are the repercussions down the road? What, like there's so many decisions to be made. What would, what would you have people focus on? 
Absolutely. I think um, you can almost go step by step through the data value chain. So first of all, how do you connect to the data sources? And there, I think we will see changes in the future. ETL, as we call it, extract chance from load, getting the data out of data sources will become more and more of a commodity. Now, it's still worthwhile in most of the cases to write those loaders yourself. This is what we do mostly. We write small Python scripts that connect to whatever REST API data source we might be looking into. And I believe, though, this will change because there are more and more tools emerging who do that. And also the, the APIs, the data sources that you're connecting to, they're becoming more and more standardized. So it's easier for a tool to do that. Still, the tools are fairly expensive. And I think we will see a big change there. So I think this is one of the first buy versus make questions that you want to ask. Um, I think in terms of database, you might be aware in Europe, we have a lot of data protection issues. So there the database uh, choice might be a bit more complex. Otherwise, I would say just go with whatever works for you. There was a bit of a trend towards non-relational databases, which means kind of like a system where you just dump everything in and don't really structure it beforehand. This is definitely one of the decisions to make, but I think I have the feeling that this trend is a bit over. So um, usually a normal structured database is is the way to go so basically just tables and then i think you made all already most of the important decisions visualization can come later why not start with excel that's fine you just need something to to get the data out this can be a free visualization tool this can be excel and then only think later about where, uh, if you if you might need a more elaborate tool and if you have the structure right that's that's all not a problem, but getting this foundation right is crucial. Yeah, and in in your experience, what works best when you're when you're thinking about moving from maybe a small in-house thing that you're working on, you're worried about scale, so you look into making a much bigger dent in your data. What are the the sort of strategies in terms of of setting that up? Do you do you tend to put one person in charge so there's not a bunch of cooks adding their own spices to the sauce or is it better to separate it into cer certain categories or is there like a hands-off white glove approach where somebody will just all do it for you what, what are some of those kinds of decisions in terms of organizing well that's a big question and uh, unfortunately there's no easy answer um, with our clients we have seen all of these approaches we have seen data tribes where each function, each department has their own data people and they would all sometimes even have their own small data warehouses or contribute to one larger data warehouse. Obviously, there are problems with that approach. But mm. so with the other, where you have the whole function centralized and then things often become very slow, also caused why many companies call us because the data team gets overwhelmed, cannot keep up with all of the requests coming in, is not as close to the actual user of the data so might work not to what the users actually need so that's that's a very difficult question and i think there's no easy answer to it it really depends on on how the company is set up i personally would probably go for a mixed approach i would want a centralized data team that takes care of making sure the infrastructure is stable and general guidelines are being followed but i would have probably data people who work as internal consultants kind of within the departments to make sure all of the requirements get properly translated to the data team. I guess this is how we go about it. 
Yeah. Well, and you're right. I think a lot of us would love it if there was just a button we could press, but there is, it's always unique to the organization and their needs. On the Um, other hand, my view might be biased because uh, (laughs) uh, companies usually call us when things don't go well. So, (laughs) yeah. So, well, I guess you get to, well, let me, yeah, let me jump into that then. You get to see a lot of maybe, maybe struggling is not the right word, but people who are not doing data the, the way that they want to or the way that they envisioned it. What are some of those key mistakes that they may have made before they call you? What are some of the things that you've seen that maybe people can avoid if they, if they hear this podcast? <laughs> yeah, there, uh, there are actually quite many. I'm going to start from the visualization angle now just to mix things up a bit when it comes to visualization i'm often saddened by how few people actually open a dashboard some visualization mm-hmm. tools have counters for that and you can see that uh, the number is a lot a lot lower than what you would have expected and i think this often happens because those dashboards are not really tailored to the audience and often they also don't really follow a storyline so if you want data to be used within the company, I think it's very important that you follow a a storyline that you understand what your target audience needs to see. You don't need to please everybody within one dashboard, but rather develop specific dashboards and make sure there is a process around the dashboard actually being used. Also think about establishing meetings in which the dashboard will actually be used instead of just Mm. throwing it there. And this is where I think a model with like internal consultants or data people within departments could actually help. Aside from that, what we see often leading to failures is much more organizational problems than technical problems. Technical people always want to solve problems with the latest technology. But to be honest, most of the technologies that we have since the last five, six, seven years are good for most of the problems that we still have today. Usually the problem is an organizational one and a process that is already not good won't be better if you migrate it to a a new system. And I think a lot of the data problems that we solve are also process problems and uh, organizational problems. If your organization wants to leverage data to drive success, explore Pragmatic Institute's training offerings. We provide individuals and teams with actionable guidance, hands-on practice, and a business-oriented approach so that they can solve problems and propel decision-making with data. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I think, you know, in in the olden days when people were not so data centric, I think if you were thinking about making an investment in, in your organization and say buying a new building, you're thinking about, you know, 50, 100 years possibly with uh, with that kind of like I'm, I'm talking about building something right like a campus or something. So these are really long term questions. You're not going to move your campus once you start building it usually. But it seems like with the programs that people are buying, they're, you know, thinking about six months or a year, assuming that it's going to change, it's going to be different. How do you encourage people to think about that? Because it sounds like what you're saying is it's still those big picture questions. And if you need to change, you know, your your software or something, you can do that. But when people are making decisions about organizing data, what kind of time frame do you encourage them to think about? Is it is it like a big commitment? Or is it something that, you know, may change next month? We'll see how things go. I think that scares people too. Yeah, 
I think it will always be an iterative process. And also when we build data warehouses, we don't build them to last for the next 20 years. That's that's just not possible. On mm -hmm. the other hand, I think there are constants even in the data and in the software world. Take PostgreSQL has been around, if I'm not mistaken, for more than 30 years. And it's mm -hmm. still it's still is still relevant today. And I think it's important to stick to the concepts that have been around for a while and not necessarily jump on every every new tool that uh, that just came out even though obviously it might make sense to look into those and to make sure that you don't miss the latest developments but i think if you follow a technologically open approach that is not a big deal because then you will, we will always be able to translate the learnings that you have within your iterative approach to the next technology that might come. We see that now. I talked about uh, many people going from Google BigQuery to Snowflake. That is possible because they have all of their data within a already open database, so they can easily migrate to another one. While the people who a while ago, you might remember a few years ago, there was the uh, Hadoop craze where everybody uh, decided they needed a Hadoop cluster, which they usually run, uh, ran at like 10% uh, capacity or so. Absolutely useless, but adds a lot of overhead on, on how you actually work with the data. Those people have a big problem because the, there is no compatibility between those SQL or, or SQL-like databases and something a lot more complex and very different like Hadoop. So in that case, I think it would have made sense not to jump on the hype train. Of course, now it's hard to see upfront where, where a yeah. specific technology might be going. But I think if you stick to your root concepts and to the root ideas and only look at the sideline, what might be what, what of the new technologies might be interesting, you will, you will, be, you will be fine. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point is that, well, as you said, there, there are different ways of thinking about kind of the benefits and the costs when you're thinking about changing something basic like, a, you know, a subscription to something maybe bigger, like the way that you organize data. What are the ways that you, you encourage people to think about return on investment? Or if you want to think about it in a different way, the money that people are spending on data projects, on organizing data and the money that they hope to make or the benefits that they hope to receive, how do you encourage people to think about that when they're weighing their decisions? That's obviously very hard to measure the, the return on invest uh, on a data project. It's actually something we've been thinking about since six years because obviously that would be a great way to encourage our clients to do projects with us. I think what we usually say is if something takes longer to automize than to actually do it then don't automize it because that's that's something that we see happening a lot that analyses that that happen maybe once every quarter get automized there's there's no point in that aside from that i think it's it's really hard to assess to be uh, to be to be honest i'm not sure i have a good answer on that one well are there any keys to i guess avoiding a money pit right where you just are are throwing money at some kind of product and eventually you have to cut your loss or something because you realize it's not doing what you hope to do. Are there any signs of that? Yeah, absolutely. Don't scope too big. That's, that's the number one cause, in my opinion. We see huge projects which never, never finish for exactly that cause. And 
rather go with this with the small use case and make sure you get this one end to end. So you get this one from data gathering to data delivery and only for a, for a very small narrow use case and then expand on that and don't try to build the the massive thing that can do any, everything at once. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's that's a good point. I've heard many stories of people, yeah, just trying to do a huge ambitious project like AI in general, I guess, right? Like trying to just introduce AI or something and then it just doesn't happen by the time you want it to roll out. Yeah, I mean, AI for sure. It's already when I, uh, introducing AI is so general that I, uh, uh, yeah. I, I, I get all of the alarms uh, ringing in my head, I would say. So also there, I would say just focus on on a specific data set, focus, focus on specific features, focus on a specific case, know your customers, know your user, know what you want to do with it. And it's, uh, it's much more likely that the project is going to succeed. Yeah. What have you learned in your time working on, working as a consultant, doing this kind of work? Are there changes along the way that maybe, you know, some of your first projects, when you think about them to now, things have changed, things have gone in a different direction, just in terms of the market or in terms of the solutions that you're offering. What's changed in your experience over the last few years doing this? Mm -hmm. Well, so one thing that certainly changed is database power. So it's got a lot cheaper. And by now we, we have the means to do calculations that would have been a lot more costly before. Also, everything related to infrastructure setup got got a lot easier on the other hand there are some things that might have got even more complex even though they might look easier for example we've seen now with a lot of clients that dbt is a tool that is used a lot for doing transformations within the database which is great because you can do a lot of things very quickly but it also hides a lot of the complexity from you so you might lose track of what's going on. It's much harder. It can be harder to document and, and all of these things. That's certainly a, a change that we observed. And uh, what I mentioned before, like a general, much more generally, much more realistic idea of what can be done um, with data science. We, like a few years ago, we were approached with potential projects which were just completely crazy that didn't make any sense at all and we're just for the sake of being able to tell the management look we're we're doing uh, we're doing machine learning now and nowadays that is a lot more realistic the use cases are much clearer it's it's much better scoped and i think data science finally found its way of actually creating creating business value and, and creating impact and I'm very happy about them. We see that also reflected in our company that by now we have quite a substantial data science team. Well, before it was enough that one guy knew what a regression was, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and then that's that's another good point. Do you see businesses from from very small, almost uh, mom and pop stores to major organizations all having a need for machine learning or data science down the road, or are there clear? kind of markers where, you know, it's just not necessary. I don't think all, all businesses will, will have the need. We thought in the beginning that uh, mid-sized companies would be our, large, uh, our largest market. That didn't turn out to be true. We're now almost entirely in the, in the enterprise sector. Hmm. However, and that's definitely one of the developments that we saw in the market, 
the mid-sized companies are coming. It's still happening slowly, but we, we see more and more of them. But obviously, I think there are many companies who will probably not need an elaborate data infrastructure. And I mean, mom-pop businesses, to be honest, I don't know. Some of them might benefit from that uh, as soon as they have an online shop, as soon as maybe there is some production to optimize. But I don't think the bakery around the corner will usually benefit from, from a large data warehouse anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the, the thing that we're seeing is that it was during the biggest hype, it was seen like it, this will be absolutely, oh, absolutely everywhere. And uh, so what what changed, in your opinion, like what was the realization other than maybe, you know, spending a lot of money and not getting the results you would want? <laughs> what what are some of the other realizations that happened from that from that point, that like peak of hype to today? I think it's the classical hype cycle. It's the, the, the Gardner hype cycle. And I think we're we were at the very peak and I think we're we're now on the way on the way downwards and maybe already in the trough. Yeah, and well, to follow up on that, is there a way of thinking or of seeing the difference between an innovative company, whether you know it's a mid-sized or or giant organization, being innovative, being you know cutting edge, versus kind of you know joining hype and wasting money or going in some ambitious direction that is is almost guaranteed to fail? I mean, sometimes those are very hard to distinguish. Absolutely. Are there ways that you can think, or the ways that you would encourage a, a business to think about it so that they know or they, you know, they see markers that hopefully, yes, this is innovative, they're doing new things, but they're not going to try to do some something that's just bound for failure? Absolutely. I mean, uh, here around Berlin, but I think that's uh, no different in the US. Uh, Many companies opened innovation spaces, innovation hubs, and to be honest, I believe most of them have been closed by now uh, <laughs> because I, I haven't heard anything of those. And I think this was a typical case of, of something like that. I think whenever there's a topic that just needs to be done for the sake of being involved with the topic, mm. I think it gets dangerous. I would always want to know what the impact is of, of what I'm doing. And I think this is how you should also lead your, your data project. You don't need data science for the sake of data science. You're trying to solve a problem and data science might be the solution or it might as well not. Uh, and that is okay too. So I would, if you have a problem, look through the entire solution space and don't look at it from the angle of the solution. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I think that's what a lot of people have learned is, uh, you know, hopefully not from billions of dollars wasted <laughs> or something. But but yeah, just uh, to say that you have a new dashboard is not necessarily a reason to do it. What is what is a good reason? Like just returning to dashboards for a second, because mm. you mentioned how, you know, when you when you might have a great dashboard, but nobody uses it. How do you know? you need a dashboard. Let's just use that as an example. How do you know you need a dashboard and how do you know you're making the right dashboard? That's mm -hmm. a very like specific case. Mm -hmm. So I need the dashboard if I have a specific question or a specific area of similar questions that I want to be answered on a, on a regular basis. So usually what goes before that is exploring the data and trying to answer the, the question once or uh, basically looking into the realm of these different related questions and then understanding that there is a specific 
there are specific parts in this in this data that can help me under uh, answer these questions on a regular basis. This is what I would base the dashboard on, and this is where also building building that story, that user story, comes into into play, where I understand what the audience for the dashboard is and also understand what what story i want to tell with the dashboard a good rule that we usually apply is uh the three second 30 second three minute rule so uh, whenever you build a dashboard on the first page you want all of the things that you can understand within three seconds so that's your first glance then if you want to go deeper on the second page you have everything that you get within 30 seconds and then uh, you have the three minute in detail look and i believe if it takes you longer than that to understand the dashboard your dashboard is probably not that great that's yeah that's an excellent summary i think that's something that people could check right now if they have dashboards they're working on <laughs> how long does it take you and how many click throughs do you need that's that's great advice i yeah as we wrap up i mean i could, you're obviously so well versed in this like we could talk a long time and i appreciate what you've given us today when you think about you know People listening, whether they're the people literally making dashboards or the people using dashboards, if they could start doing something today that would have an impact that they could take away from this conversation or similar conversations, and tomorrow they could start seeing some kind of difference, what would you encourage them to do? What are two things that you you might say, hey, try this or start doing this and you'll see an impact very quickly? Mm -hmm. One comes immediately to my mind that is, raise data awareness, uh, raise the awareness of your dashboards. And one great way of doing that is by just putting up a screen with the dashboard on. Force people to look at uh, what you want them to see. And hmm. we've seen that in a, a company we work with, they set up a huge wall of screens, like four meters long. And that was mainly to raise data awareness because they wanted people to walk by this wall of screens with the dashboards on and to look at every day because not necessarily because the numbers were the most relevant for them to see on that day, but because it made them think about looking into data. And I think this is a very interesting uh, secondary effect of building a dashboard is not only having uh, the information within the dashboard, but being able to raise data awareness by bringing the whole topic to, to the organization. I like that. Yeah, I like that visualization too. Just four, four meters of, of uh, dashboards will get people's attention, I think. And uh, the other one is, and I don't know if that would make things immediately better, but at least I think it would probably shock a few people is just randomly select one of the dashboards you created and restrict access, kind of pretending that it was deleted and see how many outcries there are. And I think <laughs> people would be surprised uh, how few emails they'll probably get. Yeah, I love that. That's kind of like reverse engineering to see what, do see what doesn't work and then you know what's working. <laughs> I like that. I don't know how many people will be able to do that, try to, try to do that without getting fired, but uh, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so you, we didn't, we didn't mention, well, I mean, I mentioned it at the beginning, but you're the founder of Germany's largest meetup on digital analytics, and which makes me want to know if people want to follow you, uh, maybe on social media, or if they want to potentially join a meetup, how mm -hmm. do people follow you, get in contact with you? Absolutely. So the best way to follow is on LinkedIn, either my personal profile or also our company profile, Pandata. And for the meetup, follow the data doc 
community. So that's data and D-O-C-K, like the doc. Cool. Great. Well, I have enjoyed talking to you. We got some good ideas, I think, from different angles about how to improve organizational data. Marco, I just want to thank you so much for talking to Data Chats today. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. That was great fun.